0: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. Today, our guest is Austin Acurcio from Sam S. Acurcio Farms in Homestead, Florida. He's going to talk to us about their vegetable production and all their experience. And Austin's also going to talk to us about some issues he's experienced in the ag industry. And, And quick little side note, the podcast is averaging about 55 listeners per episode, which is nuts since this is episode seven. So thank you guys for listening, for sharing it. If you're listening to it on iTunes, if you can, if you don't mind, rank it. Rank the episode, rank the podcast. You can rank it four stars, five stars. I mean, preferably not three or less, but that would help us out a ton. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing. Um, We can't can't wait to bring you a whole lot more of really cool episodes. So thank you for stopping by and hope you enjoy episode seven with Austin Accursio and learning about vegetable production. Welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, Austin Accursio from Sam S. Accursio and Sons Farm in Homestead, Florida. How are you doing? Hey, hey, how are you doing? Doing good. So take us through um, your farm. We talked earlier and you said that this is you guys' 70th season. Is that correct?
2: Yes, we've been farming since 1940s, mainly vegetables, cucumbers,
1: squash, zucchini, green beans, okra, and sweet corn. Walk us through kind of the history. Like, how did it get started, and what are you guys doing now?
2: My grandfather started Curcio Farms in 1948. He moved here from Boston, Massachusetts. Borrowed land, borrowed tractors, borrowed everything to get started into a lucrative vegetable uh, industry because South Florida used to be the winter, you know, the winter breadbasket. Of the nation was our nickname, so it was a very lucrative market back then because he was able to produce vegetables when the rest of the country was too cold to uh, to grow anything.
1: Walk us through your process. Like, do you guys start from seeds or seedlings, and then what does the typical season look like for you?
2: Yeah, everything is seeded, direct seeded into a raised bed. We bed the land up on three foot centers and direct seed everything. Starting in late August with pickling cucumbers, I think this year we started August 28th, and we are just finishing up planting this week for the season. So, started August 28th, seeding crops, and, um, and we'll, go up to, uh, we'll go up to this weekend, and then we'll be done.
1: Again, how long does a typical season for you guys last? Like, what, what months do you not grow anything?
2: The only, month, the only months right now that we're not growing anything is we try to be done with okra before the 4th of July. The whole month of July and the whole month of August are the only two months of the year that we don't have anything going on.
1: Is that because, I mean, I'm up in North Florida, so it gets extremely hot. Is that because you guys don't do anything in August or July because it gets super hot, or are there any particular reasons? Uh,
2: it's mostly the rain just the rainy season and uh the heat is is actually even though we're further south and closer to the equator we're actually cooler than you know a vegetable farm is in Georgia or North Carolina at that same time we're actually cooler temperatures but the rain you can't uh you can't you can't raise a crop with that much rain the 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 ground just stays saturated and uh you know, some summers we may
1: have 60 inches of rain. So we've talked earlier a little bit about some issues in ag, and I know you touched base on a couple of things. Your experience with organic agriculture, and you've said you've tried it, but you had some issues with that. So can you kind of walk us through that a little bit?
2: Yeah, we tried, we tried growing uh, slicing cucumbers organically in a greenhouse, so in an in a enclosed environment shielding insects away you know i had thrip screen and white fly screening on the whole on the whole building with good ventilation with good fans and everything and still could not control the insects and both downy mildew at times we were spraying every every other day and with organic pesticides and still could not control
1: the uh the diseases and the insects what make up organic pesticides like i'm assuming it, it can't be something synthetic i know like home organic gardeners do like peppermint oil or spearmint oil what exactly are organic pesticides on an industrial level
2: yeah it's a lot of oils you know the insecticides are mostly all oils um like you said okay. oil Today, for instance, on my green beans, I actually sprayed peppermint oil and rosemary oil. It works. It helps, but it's not as effective as synthetic chemicals. It's it is a tool though. So I do I I still use organic pesticides in the farm, but it, you can't use it as a standalone product. You have to tank mix it with with other products that. Um, That are labeled for green beans. The fungicides for organic use are mostly metals. So metals and minerals. So copper, nickel, sulfur, stuff like that um, make up the fungicides. But they are strictly contact only, which means that they're only going to work for you as long as they are on the leaf. So... If you spray and then irrigate the crop and wash that spray off of the leaf, you have to spray it again every time you irrigate because it's only a contact contact protectant. It's only a protectant. The synthetic fungicides that we're allowed to use on other vegetable crops, you know, in the in the conventional setting, are systemic. So the leaf takes it up. And works for, I have some fungicides that work for me in the field for up to 21 days. Truthfully, they have a better chance of ingesting a pesticide if they buy organic because of the fact you are forced to spray those protectant type pesticides three times a week, sometimes four times a week, as where I might spray. The same crop in a conventional setting with a systemic pesticide 20 days before I harvest it and never have to spray it again with a with a pesticide because it systemically absorbs into the plant. It does not absorb into the fruit, just into the leaf. Even if that plant shoots off a new growth, it's in that new growth. So it's a safer alternative when it comes to uh residues on the fruit itself conv- if 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 you follow the label with conventional products and you follow the pre-harvest intervals where most of them are most of them are minimum of seven days seven to five days the the residue will not be found in the store level they're researched in labs and uh and it will not be found in the store level. But like I said, in an organic setting where they're having to spray so much to keep that plant protected three, three to four times a week, those spray residues build up on the fruit from the time a squash is maybe one inch long to harvest. It might be sprayed 10, 10 times just to try to keep the plant alive. And you're not going to see the spray residue, but the 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 spray
1: residue is there and, and it builds up. So let's talk about something that I know you wanted to touch base on, and that's unfair trade issues. So um, talk us through what are some unfair trade issues you've encountered and what are some bigger trends you see kind of happening currently in the ag industry?
2: Well, since the 90s, uh, when NAFTA was in place, um, It's just been a steady decline in the Florida industry trying to keep up with the the unfair trade that Mexico is doing. They're just dumping. They're not trading. They're not trading like the free trade agreement um, states. They're they're dumping produce onto our market, which means they are just growing Mass massive amounts of, of of produce and just dumping it onto our market for prices cheaper cheaper than we can grow it for below our production cost and it's just been a steady decline for us. Farms go out of business every single year in my area and areas all around the state because we simply it's been it's. It's going on 30 years now, 25 to 30 years of dealing with it, of unfair trade. And now more than ever, they're just steadily increasing volume every year. The government in Mexico is now subsidizing vegetable growers to grow vegetables and and dump it onto our market.
1: Now, that not only messes with, I mean, with American homegrown crops, but it could also affect the health of consumers. Do you know, um, I'm assuming Mexico doesn't have nearly as strong of safety and regulation as the United States. So how are those qualities of tomatoes compared to ours?
2: It all depends on where they come from. You know, I I have friends that farm in Mexico. They're American farms that have taken advantage of the of the um, NAFTA agreement and moved their farm to Mexico, you know, they they farm in Georgia during the spring and fall and uh, and they and um, They farm in Mexico during my season if you're getting produce from an american farm from mexico No different they go through the same regulation as they would in america and as I go through here It's the produce is just bought and sold a lot of times. So brokers in Mexico may buy it from small tomato growers that, say, may only have uh, 50 50 acres of tomatoes or, say, 100 acres of tomatoes. Growers like that that have no regulation whatsoever, the broker buying it might be certified food safe from an american auditor but the produce itself nobody checks what is being sprayed on it nobody checks if there are restrooms in the field when they're harvesting if people are washing their hands if gloves are being used throughout the process i can go on and on and on about this the regulations that we have to abide by to keep our 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 produce uh safe and clean
1: what exactly is the price difference between Mexican crops and U.S. crops?
2: For instance, right now, I'm harvesting pickling cucumbers, and I don't have very much volume yet. We're just starting our spring season yesterday. I'm able to hold my price at $32 a box. Mexican pickling cucumbers are 14
1: That's the difference. Oh, wow. And, and how big is a box?
2: 50 pounds. Okay. I have the only, we are harvesting the only pickling cucumbers in the United States. Yesterday was the only pickling cucumbers to be harvested in the United States. And, um, and I'm able to hold a firm price because of that, but still a lot of my customers are still buying from Mexico because for them, why not, you know, they're going to sell it they're going to sell it for the same price to the chain store, so they're going to buy it for $14. they are not going to buy it from me
1: for 32 Right. Yeah. They just want to save some money on some overhead.
2: And, That's crazy. And they don't care about helping us. Most of the produce buyers do not care about helping the farmers.
1: Right. They, yeah, are just,
2: they just want to worry about their pocket, which is fine. I think everybody should. But there comes a point in time where if we can't maintain a vegetable industry in Florida and farmers can't start making money, I'm afraid that one day we're going to hit a wall and they're going to find, you know, the government and consumers are finally going to realize when the store shelf is nothing but foreign produce and, God forbid outbreaks start happening and, and and it's just not it's not a good place that we're in. I, I would hate to see one day having unsafe food on the shelf when we're able to produce all of it if, if they just uh, if they just were to realize where we're heading. A lot right. of people a lot of people know about our issue they don't realize where it's actually going and where we're going to end up I think
1: okay yeah i agree now and, as someone who actually produces what what do you well, think are some or, i'm sorry go ahead
2: i was going to say the problem of that they're going to realize and it's going to be too late there's going to be too many of us that go out of business you know the like i said there's farms going out left and right down here every year And, uh, and I hate, I would hate for us to come to a point in time and it's too late. You know, you can't just call these, call these farmers back 10, 15 years down the road and say, Hey, start farming again. We need you to grow. You know, we, we messed up. It's not, it's not going to work like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, once they're closed, they're closed. It's extremely difficult to open up a farm after
2: having closed it. Yeah. There's no such thing right now as opening up a farm. You can't, there's nobody unless a movie star or a sports player just wanted to farm that's you know there's nobody nobody giving any loans there's nobody that's making enough money to expand it's it's it, there's no such thing as a as a startup farm anymore and it's kind of a, it's a sad it's a sad to me it's very sad that a young person can't say Like my grandfather said and like my father said when they were young, I'm going to grow food for the rest of my life and I'm going to make a living and I'm going to help feed the country. Nobody, Even if a a young man wanted to do that today, it's impossible unless you have a million dollars in
1: a bank account somewhere. Yeah. Since you're an actual producer, what is something that you think could help alleviate this problem where we wouldn't have dumping of foreign produce in our country. What is something that you think would actually help prevent this and help alleviate the stress on the U.S. farmer?
2: Well, they have anti-dumping laws within the NAFTA agreement, but they have never been enforced. And right now they're working on setting up a a task force, you know, uh, a, a way to enforce these laws. They've actually already started this in there's a there's a thing called the Florida Tomato Exchange, and they have actually already started this strictly for tomatoes. Um they are they are enforcing the anti-dumping laws for tomatoes starting in August, I believe. Okay. And that's that's gonna help. If we can just keep their volume down is all we need. They're, they're sending whatever they want. So if they feel like growing 10,000 acres of tomatoes, the Mexican government gives them the money to do it. And, and in turn, they just dump it onto our market. And since it is so cheap to produce down there with labor, mostly the labor you know paying a person a dollar 50 an hour versus us upwards of 10 12 dollars an hour that's the biggest difference but also the people who aren't regulated are using are using cheap products cheap you know manures that we're not allowed to use a, a whole bunch of different things where they're able to produce a crop for half half if not less of the price that we can here but most of the time it's being produced unsafe so so it's just a it's 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 a big problem that we're facing with the dumping it's i'm hoping going forward that whatever the the tomato exchange is is doing with this with this task force i'm hoping that's a start we're all hoping that that is the beginning of I hope to see next season, in other words, I hope to see some major improvements with the tomato industry after they create this task force and enforce the anti-dumping laws because it's just going it's, it's to be the start of them doing it for squash and green beans and, and cucumbers and everything else that we grow.
1: Right. Yeah. Hopefully tomatoes will be the keystone that kind of puts everybody else in check. Well, awesome, this has been a great conversation. It, let's say, what, what would be your advice to a consumer to where they can educate themselves to where they are just buying produce from Florida or just from the U.S. in general? My biggest
2: advice to a consumer is when you're going through the produce section, number one, check the label. Make sure it says product of USA because you know that it's safe. We have the the strictest laws in the world. We produce the safest vegetables in the world. So you know by buying American produce that you're going to buy the safest produce you could possibly put in your body. And you're supporting American farmers that need your support. You know, we need all the support we can get right now. The last thing I would want somebody to do is to go into Wendixie or go into Publix or go into any any of your your local grocery store chains and buy foreign produce when there is American produce on the same shelf for the pure fact of safety and supporting American farmers and our families and and uh there's never been a time where we need more support than right now. The consumer might have to pay a dollar a pound more. And I've heard people complain, you know, what complain to me as a farmer, people that really know nothing about the industry or anything say, Why are green beans two ninety nine a pound? And I'll say, Well, what do you mean? You say, That's just so high. But everyone has an iPhone. Everyone can put gas in their vehicle everyone can do the day-to-day stuff that is actually really really expensive pay a four hundred dollar a month phone bill but people are worried about paying a little bit extra for food that is the safest food in the world but i just don't think that the consumer realizes how safe and how nutritious and how good the produce that we grow here in this country is
1: You'll have somebody that complains that green beans, two ninety nine a pound is too much, but, and I mean, green beans are super healthy, but they'll buy a $8 Starbucks every other day that's loaded with sugar and they won't bat an eye about that. So, I mean, it's all about perspective.
2: And they'll drink the $8 Starbucks playing on their iPhone.
1: But yeah, exactly.
2: We can't, we can't overpay a little bit for the, for, for a vegetable that is going to benefit you. mm uh-huh. And going to benefit me. We can't, the consumer, the consumer can't overpay. Just, and it's not even really overpaying. Think about my family. I have two young kids, a wife, and me. If I bring two pounds of beans home, that's too much for all of us. And we all eat a good share of green beans. In reality, that's $5 on healthy, safely grown inspected and audited green beans but like you said everybody is in the dunkin donuts line or the starbucks line playing on an iphone and having all the luxuries though all the luxuries paid for no problem but can't seem to afford to pay a premium for premium food for the safest food in the world safest and cheapest we still have some of the cheapest food supply in the world while being the safest.
1: All good points, man. Well, Austin, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for teaching us a thing or two about growing vegetables, trade practices, and all that good jazz. We'll have to touch base with you soon. So thanks for being on the Farm Traveler podcast. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films. Download the app and watch and listen anywhere.